0: I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. And I'm your host, Alex Brennan. We are a podcast for the strange and unusual.
1: Every other Friday, we release an episode where one of your hosts teaches the other about a topic or event that we find to be strange or unusual.
0: On Monday, before the episode is released, we post our custom-themed cocktail recipe so you have time to get the ingredients
1: and drink along with us. So sit back and relax. It's time for Crackpot Cocktail Hour.
2: 18-year-old Conrad Roy III sat running a gas-powered water pump inside his pickup truck. Shortly before he died from carbon monoxide poisoning, Roy was exchanging text messages with his then 17-year-old girlfriend, Michelle Carter. Those text messages are now the subject of a criminal case against Michelle. Police say the two exchanged dozens of messages about suicide before Roy took his life by carbon monoxide poisoning in the parking lot of a Fairhaven shopping plaza. Carter allegedly texting him let me know when you're going to do it she's been confronted with somebody whom she loves very very much she's a helper her whole life is helping everybody says she's the, just about everybody she's the biggest helper she lives to help people and make them happy Michelle Carter
0: did not force Conrad Roy to kill himself that was a tragic decision that he made
2: if she really loved him as she said she did why didn't she try to persuade him not to she didn't want him to take his life she said you don't want to take your life you don't want to she said this to him for two years until
1: she eventually says do it she said if that's what you want do it she breaks and this is a year and a half later right a year and a half into a year and a half of conditioning someone that you being dead is a better thing than being alive
2: a text from her quote jesus will take care of you babe you will be happy and protected in heaven. I just want you to finally be happy, so so happy. Heaven needs a hero. According to Christianity,
1: though, suicide is a mortal sin.
0: According to your brand of Christianity, <laughs> I, I was I, I was raised Catholic. We are we were very strict. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to Baptist, dancing is a sin. So, I'm sure killing yourself's not not okay too. Um, she gives him, she gives him specific advice on medications to take. She proposes methods to ensure that he dies. She tells him things that are supposedly going to be painless. She tells him she will help his family get through it afterward.
1: I mean, no one should ever, 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 ever help someone kill themselves. with that giant disclaimer said, the fact that she's like, this is a way that, you know, it won't hurt. He's like she doesn't want him to suffer. So, I mean, you can feel like that, teenage part of her that's like, I don't want you to be hurting anymore, and I want to make sure that all the way up until the end, you're not hurting. Still don't encourage someone to kill themselves. I understand that she's been conditioned for a year and a half, that she's a kid. God, I just wish she had, like, spoken to her parents.
0: I know. It's so hard because it's like, I really- I I believe she felt like she was doing the right thing throughout most of this process, and- she was just so like horribly, tragically, unbearably wrong about that.
1: Yeah, and also I wonder if there's a part of her that I was wondering, was like maybe if like I indulge this fantasy, he'll be more receptive to me.
0: Right. Everyone else has just shut him down and told him that he should want to live, and so he doesn't open up to anyone. She's the only one he tells the truth about how he's feeling to. Like, how can she shut? Try to shut him down or talk like. Maybe he needs to talk about it.
1: Yeah, uh, I know I've told you this story, but I one time talked down a bipolar person from the edge and convinced him to go to my parents' house. Because in one of his episodes, he thought my dad was after him. And I managed to convince him that the only safe haven would be at my parents' house. And my dad had been doing the same thing to my mom, and that was the real reason for their divorce. I knew it was a crazy fantasy in his head, but I was like... I will indulge his fantasy just a little bit so I can get him to a place where I know an adult who will have a better way of handling this than
0: I will. That's some good planning, decision making, cause and effect thinking. Look, I've get... lived a life. <laughs> you truly have. Um, this is maybe neither here nor there, but I feel compelled to say it. I Even in the context of this episode, I, I don't think it's ever okay to help someone kill themselves because of depression. I do think if they have like a terminal illness, there's a there's a gray area about like right to die and assisted suicide for me where I think like a person has a right to not become another per- lesser version of themselves if that's what they choose but
1: yeah I'm gonna put this out here now I don't know when I'm gonna do it but eventually on one of these dime episodes I am gonna do Dr.
0: Kavorkian. that will be pretty interesting yeah um, we might lose like... a lot of listeners <laughs> And, like, again, I'm not like, help your friends kill themselves, I mean, like, that's clearly not the message of, like, yeah. this podcast or this episode. But, like, I even even within, like, you know, suicide, I'm like, I, I un- and I can understand why you would think that, it's just, with a terminal illness, you know, almost beyond a shadow of a doubt it's not going to get better. And with depression, depression lies to you and tells you it's for sure not going to get better, but you just don't have any actual way of being sure about that.
1: Yeah, and again, these are, these are fucking kids. These are kids. When you're kids, you live in an entirely different world from your parents. Uh, I know all parents think, just like, well, I'll know what's going on with my kids because I've been through, like, the teenage years and everything. It's like, you don't know what your kids believe right now. You don't know what your kids are actually doing right now. Um, I remember one time when I was a teenager, like, my friends got, like, really into witchcraft for a while and they were convinced that a book that one of my friends had was actually cursed. And looking back, I'm like, oh my god, we were fucking stupid teenagers, but... These are things that happen in your life that your parents don't know about. You're living in an entirely different reality from them.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's hard for someone to, like, if a teenager wants to keep something from you, there's a good chance they will be able to do so.
1: Yeah, even Gypsy Rose had an entire online personality her mom didn't know about, and she wasn't even allowed to use a computer.
0: That said, he did have repeated suicide attempts and hospitalizations in the past, so it's not like no one knew anything had ever gone on with him.
1: Yeah, I, I just mean, like, on her side, like, I can understand, like, her, like, keeping it under wraps. Like, this is a thing that, like, we just need to handle because a lot of teenage groups do think that. For sure.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Um, and it, like, can feel like a betrayal, like, to go over someone's head to an authority figure. Five days before July 7th, 2014, early in the day, this text exchange takes place.
2: If you were in my position, honestly, what would you do? Even then, even then, Michelle texts back. I would get help. That's just me, though. When I have a serious problem like that, my first instinct is to get help, because I know I can't do it on my own.
0: Yeah. However, she doesn't get help for him, you know? <laughs> like, she, she assumes she is the help for him. Yeah.
1: God, I just feel like there needs to be so much more mental health awareness for kids these days, so they understand more.
0: Because it's like, your friend is telling you it's never gonna get better, like, you don't know that you have to not believe that.
1: Yeah. Um, that day- I have day- more to stop, but we'll, we'll get there. <laughs>
0: Okay. Um, That day, Michelle goes and sees the movie The Fault in Our Stars in a movie theater. Um, I don't think it's the best movie to see at that time. Right. I haven't seen it, but the HBO documentary walks you through, I guess, what they feel is the relevant part. Um, I guess, spoiler alert for this movie. At the climax, the boyfriend is dying in a Jeep, and he calls his girlfriend for help, and she calls the police, and an ambulance comes, and he survives, I think. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um the ambulance comes regardless uh, so michelle like sees the scene where this happens and where the girlfriend calls calls and he gets needed medical help and yeah it says it ends with him surviving so, so that's something she's exposed to that day. okay later in the day conrad texts or michelle texts conrad to google ways to make co2 <sighs> So early in the day, she's saying, I'd get help, I'd reach out, that's just me though. And then later in the day, she's like, well, here's a potentially deadly method for you.
1: I wonder if she's thinking, we can play out this scene from this movie because she's a stupid teenager. And thinking, maybe the ambulance coming and saving him at the last second Mm -hmm. will be like, the
0: jar that he needs I really wonder that too um and particularly like thinking about her attachment to like glee and you know like she has a deep emotional bond with like other teenage characters
1: yeah I mean we all see ourselves in characters in movies and tv even as adults we do Um, for sure yeah how
0: many times have we been like oh yeah that person's so such and such yeah and it's like the intensity of that is like turned up to 11 when you're younger yeah. Uh, four days before, on July 8th, 2014, Michelle tells Conrad she'll stay up with him if he wants to kill himself that night. He says another day won't hurt, and she tells him he just keeps pushing it off. There are many messages over the be- last few weeks where Michelle tells Conrad that he's just pushing it off.
2: Uh,
0: I know. I know. I know. It's... Ish. What's What's she trying to accomplish?
1: Yeah. I, oh, part of me is, like, wondering is, like, how much of this is her fed up. How much of this is her pointing out, you know, you're still here, maybe you don't want to, and how much of it is, you know what, go ahead,
0: fucking do it, I'm done. Right, yeah, and it's like, I can can kind of understand each of those feelings, maybe not acting that way, but each of those feelings. Yeah, Jesus. (sighs) The next day, three days before July 9th, Conrad asked Michelle's advice about using a generator versus a water pump and trying to figure out which is going to generate more CO2 and be more effective. And she gives him her opinion on what is going to be more likely to kill him. So he's like now like involving her in like the details and like trying to get her to help him plan this. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Yeah. And and we know now that uh, one of the big risk factors for suicide is like having a plan and access to a means to carry out that plan those are huge things and even if someone has been telling you for years that they're planning to kill themselves and never has done anything about it but like they start actually gathering the means like if nothing else like that's a red flag reason to go above their head yeah Yeah, when he's like, tell me which one of these things is a better way to do it. Right. This is amping up the actual seriousness of this. Which again, you should take all threats seriously, but it's just like, want to point out really big red flags that people should know are red flags. Mm hmm Two days before, July 10th, Michelle texts her acquaintances that Conrad is missing. He's not missing, but she texts her friends that he's missing and she tells them that it's her fault if he did kill himself and they tell her of course that's not true and that that can't be put on her this is a couple of days before i wonder
1: if like this is a kind of like tertiary way of her being like i am
0: reaching out for help i'm trying to set off alarms in other areas i wonder too like well like he couldn't be mad at me for directly telling someone if i don't directly tell someone what's going on right now if it feels like a loophole to something yeah the day before july 11th 2014 conrad texts a series of messages to michelle and there's a lot but i'm gonna read uh some good chunks of it just because it's like right before this happens he texts to her quote
2: i'm just too sensitive i want my family to know there was nothing they could do i am entrapped in my own thoughts like no i would be happy if they had no guilt about it Because I have a bad feeling that this is going to create a lot of depression between my parents-slash-sisters, I'm overthinking everything. Fuck. I gotta stop and just do it.
1: So now he's like thinking about what's going to happen on the other side of this, not just I need to do this. What's going to happen next?
0: He's really thinking a lot of it through. Um, It's scary. Like, we know what happened. And I still feel myself like feeling that sense of dread as we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. Michelle responds. And I think she's she thinks she's telling the truth and helping them him, even though she's not helping and she's misinformed about his family's level of knowledge in this. That's really important. Go back to Mm. him telling her that his mom saw him Googling suicide and was fine with it.
2: Quote, she texts to him. I think your parents know you're in a really bad place. I'm not saying they want you to do it, but I honestly feel like they can accept it. They know there's nothing they can do, they've tried helping, everyone's tried. But there's a point that comes where there isn't anything anyone can do to save you, not even yourself, and you've hit that point and I think your parents know you've hit that point. You said your mom saw a suicide thing on your computer and she didn't say anything. I think she knows it's on your mind and she's prepared for it. Everyone will be sad for a while, but they will get over it and move on. They won't be in depression, I won't let that happen. They know how sad you are and they know that you're doing this to be happy, and I think they will understand and accept it. They'll always carry you in their hearts." And message.
1: Based on the information that she's been given, I mean, what else is there to think?
0: Right! She's like, well, I would tell his family but I guess his family doesn't care and it sounds like maybe this would be the best thing for him and them and it just never is like your depressed family member killing themselves is not the best thing for everybody like it, Mm -hmm. it leaves so much more scars and shit to deal with for everybody but she I think she really believes what she's saying here yeah again she has no reason to think otherwise he asked her to be there for his family and she promises that she will and that they will know how wonderful he was and that she'll tell them. Alright, we're on the day of July 12th, 2014. In the morning, Michelle texts Conrad asking if he's going to do it today, recommending he do it in the daytime because it's less suspicious. She's even like trying to strategize about like how to do this effectively. He asked her where to go, she goes him to, tells him to go in his truck in a parking lot somewhere. He asked her, like, why am I so hesitant lately? And she responds,
2: You're so hesitant because you keep overthinking and pushing it off. You just need to do it, Conrad. The more you push it off, the more it'll eat at you. He responds, you're right. She says, If you want it as bad as you say you do, it's time to do it today. Jesus Christ.
0: I mean, you can imagine being one of the detectives who found these text messages and was like, holy hell, this woman, this girl caused this boy to kill himself. Like, just looking at those in isolation.
1: That's true. But I'm also like, when you're at the point where you're like, no, you have to do it today. You have to do it today. I'm like, are you playing
0: chicken with someone who is suicidal? Is that what you think you're doing? Or... Right, are you trying to push this up to the point where he'll finally, like, admit he doesn't want to kill himself? Or are you, like, okay with either outcome because you can't do this anymore? It's like, are you rolling the dice here? Like, you do not roll the dice with someone's life. Yes. For fucking sure. He, re- he at one point after she says, it's time to do it today, he says... Thank you. She asks, for what?
2: He says... For still being here. She texts back. I would never leave you. You're the love of my life, my boyfriend. You're my heart. I'd never leave you. Later on that day,
0: she asks if he's gonna do it now, and he says he's at home, and he's stressing. She responds,
2: You're fine. It's gonna be okay. You just gotta do it, babe. You can't think about it.
0: (sighs) Conrad calls Michelle at 6.28pm, and they talk for 43 minutes. At 7.12pm, she calls him, and they talk for 47 minutes. She later reports to a friend over text that during one of these calls, Conrad got out of the truck, and she told him to get back in.
1: No. No, 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 no. The fact that he got out of the truck,
0: right there, that's him realizing, no, I want to live. You hang up, you call the cops.
2: Exactly. Or you run into
0: the other room, you tell your mom, call the cops. He's in this parking lot, in this place. You don't
1: tell him to get back in the truck. I don't know what the fuck you're thinking to accomplish by telling him to get back in the fucking
0: truck. The only thing I can think, apart from she's an evil sociopath, which is, I guess, a possibility, is, like, she was legitimately convinced that this was the best thing for him and his family. Like, I'm, which is wrong she, it's not true but I, I, I'm with her, I'm with her, I'm with her, I'm angry at her, but I'm with her up until the get back in the truck. I I literally cannot imagine being on the phone with someone as they're dying and telling them to keep dying. So yeah, that's that's one of the dark, darkest points for me. Around 8 p.m she calls Conrad and texts him, please answer me but she gets no response. he he has died in his truck. An hour following Conrad's death, Michelle texts his sister to ask if they found him yet because at this point he's just missing. So they're like, she's like, have you found him? Do you know where he is? She's, she's not going to be the one to tell her. She asks if they found him and to say that they're dating again. She follows up to offer her help and, you know, say like, if there's anything I can do because she told Conrad that she would and she's doing it. <sighs> yeah. I feel so gross talking about that bit.
1: Oh, I don't know where he is. I mean, have you found him? I mean, like, do you know where he is? Wink, wink.
0: Yeah. Michelle texts her friend Sam that Conrad just called her with an engine running and moaning in pain. She says she stayed on the phone with him for 20 minutes. She says she thinks he killed himself. She says she looked it up and learned that the generator emits carbon dioxide, but we know that she already knew that and that that was a part of the plan.
1: This is the part where I I get pissed off. it's the, like her actions
0: afterwards.
1: Yeah, like, number one, here's the thing about lying. It always comes out. It's always so much worse when you get caught for it, and the longer it takes you to get caught for your lie, the worse it's gonna be.
0: I think I have a Chernobyl quote. I think it's, Every lie you tell is a debt to the truth that must eventually be paid. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I agree that, like, all of, all of her actions- I can't condone her actions leading up to this, but I can try to understand and, like, T- like, telling him to get back in the car, telling his family and friends that, like, oh, he's missing, I don't know what's happened with him, and all of this is, like, really hard to stomach, and I can see how maybe she thinks, like, I'm being there for his family or whatever, like, but it's- it, j- it feels so sinister.
1: Yeah, and I mean, also, even if, like, people think, like, it's a cut-and-dry suicide case, the family's going to want answers, and eventually someone's going to go through those text messages and be like, man, I wonder, like, is there anything, like, I could have done? Because they're putting the onus on them, as all people do who are close to a suicide victim. And the second they look to see, they're going to see those text messages, and you're going to get fucking caught, and you also told other teenagers. I told them to get back in the car.
0: Like, but that's... that that impulse control, that planning and making decisions, all of all of that, like your brain complex functioning and thinking how this is going to play out. I mean, she's like a decade away from that being fully developed, and on medications, and with her own previous mental illnesses, that some of which might still be going on.
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: this yeah. this case is
1: is very nuanced and.
0: Oh. Um, yeah. I I think it's so tragic that the only person that Conrad felt he was understood by or could open up to was going to be this toxic and wasn't going to be able to help him. And maybe that's why he felt like it was okay to open up to her, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I just- I wish he had told someone, and I wish people had a better, not just teenagers, just people in general had a better understanding of uh, who you can reach out to if you suspect that someone's in trouble. And if you are becoming overwhelmed, you don't need to take it all on yourself. And I think that's a lesson that we've all had to learn in different ways is like, this isn't 100% my responsibility. And I know like as a teenager, again, you, you live in a different world than your family does. And you understand, I remember a One of the counselors that I saw, I was having uh, an issue with uh, someone in my family and she was like, well, let's bring you both in and like have this conversation and let's like talk to them about it. I was like, no, you do not understand. Like if I do this, it is going to go very poorly. They're going to lash out and they're not going to, you know, they're not going to heed what I'm trying to say because they're just going to get 100% defensive. Right. My counselor pushed for it anyway and exactly what I said would happen was going to happen. So it's like, there are also reactions that, you know, kids know they're going to get from different people, but people, like, know that there's... What kind of systems you can use, what you can do if you think someone's, like, in this situation. Remember, it's like, you're not responsible for that person maintaining their life. There are professionals out there that are trained specifically for this, and these are the ways to get those resources. It is not all on you. Right. Yes.
0: Uh-huh. If, if you hear anything from this, like... For sure I want people to have resources, but like, reach outside yourself, find information, find people who are qualified, find other adults who seem maybe more stable, like, just don't ever take all of this on yourself, it's too much.
1: Yeah, I mean, to a lesser extent, I remember when I was in my early 20s, Um, I knew a girl that, like, we all know, like, when we drink and we get to a point and, you know, like, if I take one more drink, I'm going to be fucked up. Yeah. She would hit that point and keep going like the night just started. And <laughs> every night would end the same with, like, you know, her throwing up everywhere, me holding her hair, and then me cleaning up her place afterward. And uh, I eventually realized, like... I'm not helping her by driving her home when she's like this. I am not helping her by holding her hair and making sure that she gets to bed safely. Because she's using me intentionally as the safety net. And somebody
0: else might hold her accountable or be like, hey, uh, you got to get your shit together and not destroy yourself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even though like we had like conversations about it, it was just she wasn't going to change. And eventually I I had to be like, I cannot pursue this friendship i cannot keep doing this because if i keep doing this then she's just going to keep drinking and she's just going to expect me to always be there to be her designated driver who's sacrificing her good time to make sure she doesn't kill herself
0: right yeah which shouldn't be on you yeah exactly the aftermath this is the following day july 13th 2014 Michelle texts her friend, Sam, asking her to hang out and get her mind off of it. Later, Michelle asks for some of Conrad's ashes. Uh, This isn't the same day. This is um, between July and September. I'm filling in some of the blanks. Okay. So Michelle asks for some of Conrad's ashes. She tells Conrad's mom, Lynn, in text, quote, You tried your hardest. I tried my hardest. Everyone tried their hardest to save him. Conrad's mom, Lynn, is shocked because she had no idea Conrad was feeling so depressed. She had no idea Conrad was feeling so depressed. Following his multiple suicide attempts, she thought like, he's all good now.
1: That one October, he had like those two incidents. I'm just, get your son some help. Even if, you know, you think he's doing better, it's still in there. I know teenagers process things usually a little bit faster than adults do because everything is so immediate and urgent. Yeah. But it's still there.
0: And, granted, those attempts were like a year and a half before, and maybe if he'd been acting like he was okay, like, it was easier for her to believe that, but like, I don't know, it
1: doesn't just go away. Yeah. I'm like, did you check in with him? Did you say, hey, how are you
0: feeling? I'm still worried about you after all this time. And I don't want to put the onus, like, entirely, like, on his mom, either. Obviously, yeah. It's like, she's not responsible. Like we were saying, teenagers can hide things from their parents. Yeah.
1: Um, and it sounded like he was living, like, an entirely, like, different world with Michelle, because he even, like, you know, said it's like, oh, my mom knows that I'm suicidal and she just doesn't give a shit.
0: And his mom later was like, what? No, I thought he was fine. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Conrad's mom, Lynn, texts Michelle at one point, quote, I'm angry with myself because I think maybe if I would have told him to stay away from his dad's family, maybe things would have been different. She goes on to say, there's so much anxiety that I have because I believe some of his dad and his family members have blood on their hands. In his dad's
1: case, literally.
0: I mean, literally in that case. But also, like, it makes sense in the wake of a death that it's hard to understand that an impulse is to try to assign blame.
1: Yeah. And again, that's what we're doing here. Yeah, and also like, again, when somebody dies, the people around them, they take responsibility, they're like, what What could I have done? Where did I fail to help there? Unless it's something unpreventable, like a cancer that came out of nowhere, or like a sudden heart attack.
0: And even then, you could still yeah. I have experience of being like, what could I have done?
1: Why did like- I insist on getting Wendy's once a
0: week? <laughs> right <laughs> um, so I, yeah i i want it to be like mm, i feel like maybe mom could have tried to tu- tune in more but i also feel like maybe there was a brick wall and like she was not ever going to get any information out of him about how he really was
1: yeah well also people tend to forget like parents have their own lives going on too they're working jobs they're taking care of kids i mean and also you said he had a sister so it's like obviously she has other children that she's responsible for and her
0: marriage uh, so- and i think like they had gone through a divorce like a like during this time period or possibly right before and so there's like i'm sure a necessary amount of energy that's going into like managing that and like rebuilding your life which it's just human stuff that's unavoidable
1: yeah it's like as much as you want to keep tabs on your kid and be there for your kid it's like you also have like your own responsibilities that you you, there's only so much energy a human being has
0: Right. right yeah totally following conrad's death michelle gets more attention from her friends they are concerned about her and want to make sure she's okay. She sends them messages quoting Glee and also quoting Leah Michelle outside of Glee, where she's talking about mourning Cory Monteith, and she pretends some of those words are her own words. In August, six months before Michelle is accused of being responsible for Conrad's death, Michelle's mother, Gail, texts Conrad's mother, Lynn, quote, I think about you, your family, and Conrad every day. My heart breaks for all of you, as well as for Michelle, who loved Conrad as much as a 17-year-old girl could."
1: For a 17-year-old, that's a lot of love. But it is. It's beautiful that the mom reached out to the other mom.
0: Yeah, and was like, hey look, our kids are going through a thing, and I know that you're going through a bigger loss than I am, but like, you know, my daughter cared too, and I'm just sorry about it. (sighs) Um, so that's August. September 13th, 2014. Michelle creates an event on Facebook called Homer's for Conrad. She messages a friend to tell her tell the friend about it with the text, quote, "I'm like famous now." Haha, which people hold against her and it seems inappropriate and braggy in the wake of your boyfriend's death to be like, "I'm like famous now because of this." It feels very like what's wrong with you that you're profiting off of this. But also, she's what? Fucking like 17.
1: Also, is she like putting like a crying laugh emoji on that or is this like a
0: nervous haha? I was that. That's my exact next point. I I think like people want to demonize her for things that I I relate to, which I not always. But I'm a nervous ha I'll put a good ha ha and lol at the end of a text to be like, this isn't totally serious. It like communicates tone or like, yeah. I- it's like, like a nervous text
1: tick. You can't hear tone in text. You assign tone in your head when you're reading
0: it. And also, like maybe that ha's like m- just that anxious tick. Maybe it's like I'm like famous now, ha. Like this is an awkward situation to be famous for this. Like it's just. But this is brought up in the trial of like, oh, look, see, she's trying to get popular. The event that she creates, Homer's for Conrad, is a tournament to raise money for mental health awareness. It's a baseball tournament. That's great. She she holds it in Plainville, which is where she lived, and not Mattapoiset, which is where Conrad lived, an hour away. Michelle said she didn't know how to organize it where he lived because she didn't know anyone there. And people want to hold that against her and say that she was doing it in her town for some self-aggrandizing reason. And I'm like, she was a 17 year old who had probably never planned a big event like this before and like didn't know her resources.
1: Yeah, going away by yourself anywhere at 17 is kind of a huge deal. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, so I was like, okay. I, I, it's hard for me to hold that against her because she like she came up with this event to like raise money for mental health awareness also. Yeah, it sounds like a um, good cause. She has her photo taken with the teams and people criticize her that for that because it looks like she's trying to like put herself in the spotlight. And I'm like, maybe she just didn't know how that would be perceived and she's like, I organized the event so I'll have my picture as an official event organizer with the people who came to the event. Like, I don't yeah. know, it doesn't seem crazy.
1: Well, I mean like every year in Las Vegas we would have the Mayor's Cup when we played soccer and at the end, like during the medal ceremony, you would get your picture taken with the mayor. It's like the mayor had fucking shit to do with it. It was just called the mayor's cup and it was just like, we want to get our picture taken with the person who put this together. It's just, it's a thing.
0: Right. Yeah. I I don't see something sinister in that. In her like having her picture taken at the event with people who attended the event to raise money. Like, that seems relatively normal to me. Um, I
1: would actually be more concerned if like she didn't even show up to the event and just like put it on and like put like her name on it and was just right. like, oh eh,
0: whatever she was involved and like wanted to do something uh like to help a couple of days later on september 15th michelle texts her friend quote sam his death is my fault like honestly i could have stopped him i was on the phone with him he got out of the car because it was working, and he got scared, and I fucking told him to get back in, Sam.
1: And that's the part where you lose me.
0: Yeah, for sure. For for real. Several months later, in February of 2015, this is February 4th, Michelle is indicted on the charge of involuntary manslaughter in Conrad Roy's death.
1: So is it? It sounds like they didn't check like his text messages in the immediate aftermath. It took some time for them to actually like indict her and to go after her. Was it? Was this a catalyst in the case of her being like, no, I told him to get back in the car, and this friend came forward, or what was it that led to the indictment?
0: I believe it's the text messages. Um, I couldn't find for an, like the exact reason, but it. The way the documentary framed it seemed like it was the detectives discovering the text messages on the phone. Okay. Between between Michelle and Conrad. And she she texted this other
1: girl. I totally could have saved him and I told him to get back in the car? Yeah. Okay, so they have actual, like, text evidence
0: of that. Okay, interesting. Um, But it should be noted also that she texted she texted her friend that she said that but there's no evidence of her actually having said that because it took place over a phone call and so we don't actually know what took place over like the couple of phone calls that like happened on that day we know what she says and maybe yeah she could
1: just be being for lack of a better word dramatic
0: right um but again you know maybe that did happen and if it did that's very clearly not okay Mm -hmm. I have an excellent quote about our old friend confirmation bias (laughs) Confirmation bias! Oh, and it includes the name of the Esquire columnist, Jesse Barron, because it's his quote. Uh, So, Jesse Barron is the person who, earlier I mentioned, whose name escaped me. Uh, It's kind of a long one, but I love it, Uh, and I think it really characterizes this case. Quote, Almost immediately after the indictment, there was a narrative that got set that didn't change, and it was set in the community, it was set in town, it was set in the press, And that is of this heartless bitch who killed a guy to get popular. And the reason that's such a compelling story is it combines two things that people feel about teenage girls. One of them is that they're coercive, that they have a kind of secret power that men don't have, that boys don't have, and that they can use it. The other thing is that they're crazy, and they live only for attention, and they just want to be popular, and they're vapid. And so in saying Michelle was like this coercive ice queen who killed a guy in order to become popular, it was like the perfect combination of everything that people hate about teenage girls end quote and i feel like that's also just like a
1: projection on an unfair and wrong uh, projection on women in general because how many times as women are we told you're too emotional you're too dramatic you care too much about this and too much about that
0: just one attention yeah yeah uh, so it's it's also like our culture is like underlying misogyny that like lets us think this way about teen girls
1: yeah and I mean and obviously like looking at like the case evidence this had nothing to do with her popularity like
0: yeah, to me, I'm like, it's kind of bonkers that that was part of the argument that was used, but...
1: Yeah, and... We'll get I, into I, it. I,
0: yeah. So, yeah, that was an excellent quote about, like, the narrative that got created right after the indictment. Yeah, uh, so February 2015. Some ASMR of me drinking water for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the following month, March, uh, Michelle's parents give this statement to the Boston Herald, quote, Our hearts have and remain broken for the Roy family. For everyone that does not know our daughter, she's not a villain the media is portraying her to be. She's a quiet, kind, and sympathetic young girl. She tried immensely to help Mr. Roy in his battle with depression. We know that once all the facts are released, our daughter will be found innocent a little bit of the legal significance of this case, because in addition to it being such a morally nuanced case, it's also uh, got some interesting parts about the law. There was no law on Massachusetts books about encouraging another person to commit suicide. There was no law about playing a role in the suicide of another person. Precedent had not been established for words to have the power to enact manslaughter. This is interesting partly because soliciting a murder has to do with words being used to generate a crime, but it's because the crime of murder is already a crime. And so, like, the words and the solicitation of it is you're trying to get someone to commit a crime.
1: Yeah. Uh, and Well, even in soliciting someone for a murder, it's not technically a crime until money has exchanged hands. Like,
0: because then it could just be all talk up until that point. Once, like, a oh, contract is out. Know. Um, so, again, there's a nuance here where it's not that didn't necessarily apply in this case. Um, this indictment also brings up questions of how much power a person's virtual presence has. I would argue that it's not totally devoid of power and that it's astronomically more powerful for younger people who are wired for being connected to their peer group. The trial begins in Bristol County Juvenile Court in June 2017, almost three years after Conrad killed himself. Judge Lawrence Moniz presides. Although she is 20 when the trial begins, since Michelle was 17 at the time Conrad died, she's charged as a juvenile. Michelle waives her right to a jury trial, as a jury is more likely to be influenced by emotion and not purely by their knowledge of the law, which she she and her lawyers feel the judge will be better able to judge based on. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I really understand that choice. All right, well, I'll talk about the prosecution, the defense, a little bit of cross, and where we all end up. Prosecution. Michelle's acquaintances testify for the prosecution that they weren't real friends, that didn't really hang out with her, They would sometimes text her, but they didn't really spend a lot of time together. Sure, they saw her at school, but we didn't, like, go to each other's houses. We weren't super close, which, probably fine, you know, whatever. But fuck, that's hard to watch. Yeah, I
1: would hate... Could you imagine, like, someone that you think is a friend being like, well, you know, we didn't really hang out, we weren't, like really friends.
0: Yeah, and it's like, I texted you, like, are we friends? Do you care about me? Like, there's all kinds of text messages in the documentary between her and her supposed friends of, like, hey, do you care about me? And, like, really trying to get this connection. And you can, like, even in the text, you can see them, like, trying to take a step back and, like, and I get it, you know? Like, if Having a deficit of need of attention will make anyone needy, which can make you behave anxiously, which might push people away. Like, mm-hmm. I get how she's not doing herself any favors, but it's hard to watch. Where it's just like, oh, anyone, like people that she thought maybe were on her side, you know, weren't, and yeah, were put to demonize. the prosecution. I'm so- oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was, was gonna right.
1: say. I also see that as them being like, we also want to individually distance ourselves from this person. We don't want to be associated as the friend of the girl who killed her boyfriend.
0: Yeah, I, I see a lot of this as um, damage control on part of the friends who are testifying, and also, you know, like an understandable level of wanting to not have anything to do with this, like, for yeah. yourself. And, you know, if, if all you know is, like, the text messages you've seen in the media and whatnot, then it probably does seem pretty cut and dried to you.
1: Yeah, and these are girls that are probably in college or applying for different schools and grad schools, and they're thinking, if I get associated with this, as being a friend of this person, how will that negatively impact me down the line?
0: Right. Connection and being well-liked are survival skills.
1: Unfortunately.
0: Uh, the prosecution paints a picture of Michelle as an attention-seeking person. Um, which, yeah, she did need attention, because she seemed, like, really fucking lonely and alone in the world. Um, everybody needs attention. Right! Like, seriously! Like I said, babies will die if they're not like, it's just- we are social animals! Like, we need other people to see us and to care about our existence. Mm -hmm. Being well-liked also means that you're less likely to be excluded or attacked, which are also, like, dangerous for you. So yeah, that is a little bit of a soapbox for me that, like, obviously if this were the case where a person tried to get their boyfriend to kill themselves so that that person could be more popular, that is morally reprehensible sociopathic behavior. I don't think that's what happened in this case.
1: No, no, there's so much evidence of her trying to save him and her not communicating to other people adequately about what was going on like if she really wanted to be like that attention seeking girl then she would be going around school being like my boyfriend's gonna kill himself this is like woe is me and blah 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 and it doesn't sound like she was doing that at all because even if she did do that then there would have been people that would have been concerned enough to maybe intervene
0: And she, like, the prosecution holds against her that she texted a couple of her friends that he was missing a couple days before he died and I'm they're like, see, she was doing a dry run and I'm like, yeah, she might have been trying to see how people would react, not because she was hoping to get more popular but because she knew this was going to be a shitstorm. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. The prosecution takes the court to the site where Conrad died, which is a Kmart parking lot, which every time I hear, think, or say is just, like, the saddest thing to think, like, that, like, just this like retail parking lot is like where you want, like where you decide you're going to spend your last moments. Like, I don't know, it's yeah. just the image of that is really hard and I, I see why they took them there. Also around this time, the public becomes inflamed about a picture of Michelle from the trial that looks like she's smirking. I think you know the, there's like a smirking picture. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, it's just like, when I look at it, it's very much like someone trying to hold their shit together. Like mm-hmm. it's very like, mm, like I'm like thoughtful and like clenching my mouth shut. But the way she's doing so looks a little like a smirk.
1: Well, there was that gymnast that did that while she was on the stand and everyone's like, she's, like, given, like, a pissed off face because she got the silver instead of the gold. And she was like, no, I was trying not to cry because I didn't get the gold.
0: And I'm like, yeah, exactly. So I think people also, like, misinterpreted that facial expression to their own means. (laughs) The defense. Defense files a motion for a required finding of not guilty, stating there's insufficient evidence that Conrad would not have killed himself without Michelle's influence. You can't put this all on her. They point to the hundreds of google searches that Conrad had done about suicide as evidence of this. Uh, Judge Moniz denies the motion and defense has to proceed with their case. The defense's tack is that Michelle's actions weren't Michelle's fault, let alone Conrad's actions. Defense psychiatrist Dr. Peter Brigham characterizes Michelle as trustworthy with a deep desire to be helpful to other people. There's a picture of her in the documentary on HBO uh, that I couldn't find online where she's holding a most likely to brighten your day award. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a person who historically has been seen as like a caring, thoughtful, positive, wants to be there for you kind of girl.
1: Yeah. It's revealed...
0: Go ahead. Sorry, I was no, going to say, I wonder if if, uh,
1: if Conrad, ha- if she would broken up with him and he committed suicide after the fact, it would not be the national story that it is now. But I wonder if in that case, his family would have been like, well, he was reaching out to you for help and then you broke up with him. So this is your fault because of that.
0: Yeah, it does seem like there are a, like myriad of ways to like bring this back to it's Michelle's fault, like in multiple situations, because there's also that thing of it's hard to wonder- it's hard to accept that, like, maybe everyone's a victim in this.
1: Yeah. It's just the the get-back-in-the-car part is just the- that's the kicker for me.
0: Yeah. But again, I mean, I can't imagine being 17 and having someone having told me that shit for a year and a half. and made me the sole- sole responsible person for their well-being.
1: And convinced you that there was no one else that cared enough to do anything.
0: Right! So, like, the only thing anyone can do is just witness them in this. It is revealed by defense that Michelle had severe mental health issues throughout her adolescence, including depression and an eating disorder. Psychiatrist mm-hmm. for the defense, Dr. Peter Bregan, states this, that this likely affected her much like other teenage girls who have these disorders, which led her to isolate herself more so th- so that she could hide it. Mm-hmm. Defense also reports that Michelle later began cutting herself, which further isolated her as she tried to cover that up. She reached out to other teens with similar problems who were also isolating and not talking to their parents. So she's dealing with a lot of her own stuff and internal pain and not knowing how to access help that might be helpful, but just reaching out to other teens like you would. Like, what is your experience?
1: Yeah. Um, Mom, if you're listening to this, sorry. Um, I don't think my parents, my family know that I, uh, I have cut myself. Um, and So when you cut yourself, number one, do not do it. Don't. Don't, don't do it. Um, just don't. I talked to my uh, doctor about it like after one incident and she said well there's a reason why you do it instead of like making me feel bad about doing it she said here's the thing is like the reason why you do it is because you get an endorphin rush and it works it makes you feel like that's you know you're letting out those emotions physically through your body the problem is after you've cut yourself you realize that you've cut everybody around you Mm. That it hurts your family to see it, it hurts you to have to deal with it afterwards, and it's just never worth it. And so she was like, I want you to understand like why psychologically you do it, but I also want you to understand like why it's a bad thing to do. And I loved like how delicately she put it, and uh, when you cut yourself, you don't want anyone to know. You hide it, you wear long sleeve shirts, you do what you can to keep people from seeing that it's there. Uh, During the whole healing process, like up until like their scars and you don't realize until like you're interacting with people like on a day-to-day basis like how much you like push up the sleeves on your arms and like how much you do like these little tiny things, like how much of that you're not allowed to do because you can't let somebody see it. Yeah. And you're cutting yourself off little by little from the people around you because there's that little chance. That your sleeve might roll up and they might see it and you're gonna have to do some explaining.
0: Yeah. So the, I mean it cuts you off in a real meaningful way. Yeah. Um so my bottom is don't self-abuse. Don't. Yes, for sure. It it yeah. And I think that I love the way that your counselor like talked through that because that's so true. Like we don't engage in behaviors repeatedly because we don't get anything out of it. Like we don't just do stupid shit for the sake of doing stupid shit. Like yeah. there's There's a reason why, like, we do stuff like that. It's just long-term not going to help you get where you want to go. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, she's got... This cutting she's got she's depressed she's got eating disorder which also tends to make you want to hide those behaviors and food is such a hugely social thing that in like anything involving food issues is going to isolate you from other people and make you feel apart and eventually spend less time with people while they're eating or talking about eating
1: yeah i mean she can't like have a normal lunch in a cafeteria because if she's anorexic someone might point out how little she's eating or wonder why like she never like wants to share potato chips or whatever. And uh, if she's bulimic, they'll probably wonder, it's like, why do you go to the bathroom after lunch every day?
0: Right. Um, if she has a binge eating disorder, it creates other like questions from people. Like there's so many, there, I can see how like life would feel like a minefield if you're trying to keep these things to yourself. Yeah. There's this heartbreaking text from Michelle to a friend who asked Michelle if she had hurt herself that
2: day. Michelle responds, quote, I was doing okay then I had pasta for dinner and I completely lost it. I got so much anxiety. I didn't know what else to do. <sighs> just having carbs for dinner. Right. Like the
0: the level of um, self-critical feelings that she's clearly experiencing and trying to manage is just like off the charts it sounds like. And I'm not saying that eating disorders and cruelty to others are mutually exclusive just like abuse and depression are not mutually exclusive but what i do know is that eating disorders i think similar to cutting in this way can be a it's like a release it's a way of having control over things that feel uncontrollable it's a desire to control yourself. It's not a desire to exert control on literally anyone else. Mm-hmm. It's it's not about manipulating any other person. It's very much about your relationship with yourself. So that to me is counter to the idea that she was like a sociopath trying trying to hurt him.
1: Yeah. And I'm also thinking it's like if she's not eating properly if she's binging, if she's just, like, under eating, if she's bulimic, all these other things. The reason you eat is to fuel your body, and, like, we all know, like, when you're really hungry, you don't think clearly. And, like, how much is that affecting, like, her brain chemistry as well if she's not nourishing her brain
0: properly? In addition to that, that's an excellent point. I'm going to take it a step further. She's also taking depression medicine, which has can have the side effect of suicidal thinking can have the side effect of hypomania for some people and if you don't get enough nutrition in your body then it is going to interact with your chemistry in a completely different way
1: Mm -hmm. Jesus. My my doctor described it to me as like fine-tuning a radio. Like if you go too far one way, you're going to get nothing but static. You go too far the other way, you have nothing but heavy metal. It's finding that nice middle ground to find the frequency
0: you need to be on. I love that metaphor. That's excellent. Um, And yeah, it's going to be much harder um, depending on the different issues that you also have going on top of that. Yeah. So yeah, I I learned about that interaction, um, the potency of the drug, the eating disorder, all of that combined uh, because of the defense's expert witness, doctor. Peter Brigham he talked about her taking uh, medicine that might have magnified her risk and changed her thinking he also uh, talked about Conrad's medicine which could have made him suicidal Uh, he had just started taking it in the beginning of June which is about a month before he died like he had a big med change
1: yeah I mean your doctors will tell you like two weeks until you start like noticing changes at least a month until like you're noticing like the long-term effects
0: yeah, so that's a like very sensitive time period transitioning medications, and that should have been very closely monitored by people, his support system, at least the mental health system he was getting the meds from.
1: Yeah, whenever I have an adjustment with my medication, my doctor requires me to see her. Um, at, she will schedule at least two to three follow-up visits, and she won't refill my prescription until she knows that what I'm doing is feeling good. And that's the responsible protocol. Mm-hmm. I love my doctor. Uh,
0: Yeah, it sounds like you have an awesome one. I really do. I got really lucky. Um, Dr. Bregan also testifies that it seems that Michelle came to believe, based on what Conrad said, that he was going to take his life regardless, but that she could help him make it quick or effective or take care of his family. Dr. Bregan argues that Michelle became involuntarily intoxicated her depression medication because of her eating disorder, because of her age, because of the way that it affected her body chemistry, listing impulsivity and impaired judgment as effects of this intoxication. He testifies that she became hypomanic and started trying to help Conrad go to heaven. Hypomania is a a less intense version of mania, which comes with an elevated mood, an increase in goal-directed behavior. And it brings with you a sense of urgency. So you can see how that came together in this case. If she truly was involuntarily intoxicated with her medicine to the point of hypomania, all of those things might explain the shift in her behavior where she starts trying to help him go through with killing himself. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, She seemed happy to finally have a way to actually help him after a year and a half of trying to go back and forth. (sighs) Dr. Bragan has an excellent quote in the documentary. He says, and so we have these two kids. They're not star-crossed, they're drug-crossed.
1: I just feel bad for these poor kids.
0: My God. And I'm like, how how did we get in a situation where his entire mental health and physical well-being were placed on her shoulders? Yeah and
1: also one of the things that I'm just thinking about now is like our parents generation, the previous generation, they weren't as attuned to psychiatric care as we are now. Like it is just now stepping out of the realm of taboo. It's, it's not as stigmatized as it used to be mm-hmm. and so I wonder like how much of it is like oh you don't need to see it like a professional that's just for like you know people that
0: like to talk about themselves or blah blah blah. Right, right just like a lack of education about like what this a- what mental health actually is. Yeah. Uh, prosecution begins cross-examinations. They talk to the defense psychiatrist, Dr. Bregan. They bring up that Michelle was at camp from July 2nd to July 12th, which was the day Conrad killed himself, the 12th, and was evaluated by a counselor there as seemingly mental present, mentally present, coherent, even while she was texting Conrad, encouraging him to kill himself. Like, the counselor is like, Michelle seems fine. She seems to be okay. And I'm like, yeah, Hypomania comes with it an elevated sense of mood, and like, especially if someone has been depressed for a while, hypomania is not full mania to where you lose total touch with reality, it could look like you actually are more functional for a period of time. I could see that seeming more okay.
1: Yeah, and also if you're hiding something, you're probably lying about something. Um...
0: Right! I doubt Michelle opened up to the camp counselor that she was texting her boyfriend Methods to kill himself.
1: Yeah, when I had my, um, so I should probably tell listeners, I've only had two suicide attempts. If you are feeling that- as we said at the top of the episodes, if you're feeling that way, please reach out to someone, please get help. But when I was 17 and I had my first uh, suicide attempt, I remember speaking to the psychiatrist and even as a 17 year old who was going through a lot of shit and had been through a lot of shit previously, I knew that there were certain answers that were going to get me locked up. And I intentionally answered in ways to get the fuck out of the hospital.
2: And
1: yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people like say that I'm going to go a little bit more true crime on this. A lot of people say it's like, Ed Kemper somehow tricked all the psychiatrists and thinking that he was a totally normal person. It's like, if you have enough awareness, you know how to answer those questions where people will think nothing is wrong. We right. do it every day. You're in a bad mood and you don't want to talk about it. I say, how are you doing? You say, fine.
0: Right! Yeah! Exactly! Like, how is that any different than, like, knowing what to say in the moment to get yourself out of there? And especially if you don't think anyone can actually help you, you're like, this is a waste of everyone's fucking time, so I'm just gonna say the words and leave.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: In the cross-examination, prosecution also brings up Michelle reporting Conrad is missing to her friends on July 10th, two days before he died. They state this is a dry run to make sure that his death would get her the attention she needed. She wanted to be the grieving girlfriend, the prosecution says. Dr. Bregan maintains that this behavior is very strange indeed and seems to be a part of a confused delusional state which is more evidence for involuntary intoxication and hypomania. Yeah. He's, they're like, why would she do that? And he's like, I don't know. It's not rational behavior.
2: Yeah,
1: we already talked about our thoughts on this. But, oh, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that happens. Uh, closing arguments. The defense closing is pretty much a summary of kind of the, all of the other factors and the reasons why she isn't responsible for this, which we've talked about. I don't want to resummarize. Um, I do want to hit part of the prosecution's closing argument is reading this text from Michelle to a friend. The, um, the whole, his death is my fault. Honestly, I could have stopped him. The part about him getting out of the car and telling him to get back in, which... Yeah. Is the most damning text of all of them, I think. Yeah. Um, but here's the end of that. I He got scared. I fucking told him to get back in. Here's the part that we didn't hear before, which they read in the closing argument. Sam, because I knew he would do it over and over again the next day, and I couldn't have him live that way, the way he was living anymore. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't let him.
1: This sounds more like a mercy killing than a cold-blooded killing.
0: God, she reached a breaking point with herself and with him and was like, if if you're 100% convinced that this is how it's going to be for you forever, then I can't in good conscience keep telling you to live.
1: Yeah, and it's been a year and a half of this. And you're right, that extra sentence, it does add context.
0: And they use that as damning. Like, I couldn't do it, I wouldn't let him. Like, she's trying to control him and I'm like,
1: No, it sounds like she was like, if he's really suffering this much, I won't let him keep suffering.
0: Right. Again, not the right thing to do, but I think I understood, like, some of her thought process. Judge Moniz deliberates for two days, comes back, and here are the findings. He finds wanton and reckless conduct on Michelle's part showing a serious disregard for Conrad's well-being, but he does say the behavior that she had was not proven by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to have caused Conrad's death. He took significant actions, procuring and setting up what he needed to die, and doing so in an area where he would not likely be noticed. Mm -hmm. However, all of this considered, he got out of the truck. It's Michelle telling him to get back in, knowing that it will be toxic. Quote from Judge Moniz, Where one's actions create a life-threatening risk to another, there is a duty to take reasonable steps to alleviate that risk. The reckless failure to fulfill this duty can result in a charge of manslaughter. The Commonwealth has proved that Michelle's failure to act to alleviate the risk to Conrad's life caused his death, and she's found guilty of involuntary manslaughter.
1: And that I do agree with, because yeah. like, you should have reached out to someone, you should have done something i understand like why in your teenage and drug-addled
0: mind this was the logical step but you still had every opportunity to stop it yes exactly and like even when he got out of the car you could have called the police instead of telling him to get back in
1: yeah and i agree with the judge if he had just been if he had just stayed in the car and like he never got out and like contacted her then it's like that's on Conrad he's the one who decided to finally act on it how was she to know that of all the times he said he was going to kill himself this is the time he was actually going to kill
0: himself but he was on the phone with her and yeah
1: yeah the getting Got out or telling him to get back in
0: yeah <sighs> um so that is in uh June of 2014 or 2017 sorry not 2014 the, in August we have the sentencing Michelle's father David writes a letter to Judge Moniz asking for leniency for Michelle quote I pray to God you will take into consideration that Michelle was a troubled, vulnerable teenager in an extremely difficult situation and made a tragic mistake. I'm 100% sure she was only trying to do what in her mind was right for Conrad. She has accepted the court's decision, and I hope you will consider a term of probation and continued counseling for her and us. She'll forever live with what she has done, and I know will be a better person because of it. 20 years prison is the maximum sentence for this. The Commonwealth of Massachusetts asks for 7-12 to years prison. The defense asks for probation and treatment. Judge Moniz sentences Michelle to two and a half years, which is 30 months, in Bristol County House of Correction, 15 months of which she must serve, and 15 months suspended. I think that 15 months is hanging over her head as a threat if she doesn't, you know, do what she has to. Defense asks for a stay until the appeals process is complete, and the judge says he anticipated that and he's okay with the stay. That's August 3rd, 2017. February 11th, 2019, a year and a half later, Michelle's appeal has been denied. The Commonwealth asked for her prison sentence to begin immediately, and she's taken into custody. September 20th, 2019, the Massachusetts State Parole Board denies Michelle her request for early release. January 13th of of 2020, this year, the Supreme Court declines to hear her appeal. January 23rd, 2020, this year, after serving 12 of the 15 months, Michelle is released early because she's earned time off by participating in programs in prison. The Bristol County Sheriff states she's been a model prisoner, and prison staff confirmed she enjoyed gardening and working in the kitchen. She was supposed to be released in May, but she got three months off for doing being so involved. Conrad's grandfather, Conrad Roy Sr., stated, quote, It sure is a tough day. I'm disgusted with the whole system okay so and hey, she's uh, certainly uh serving five years probation
1: okay so my point of view on this case did change a little bit because originally I was like why was I so like the manslaughter thing like she should have been convicted like I-, I was trying to remember like why and then you reminded me of like the whole truck thing and I was the like okay
0: yeah. that's
1: yeah it's like that that's why and I do agree um I am glad that you know the judge saw it. it's like it's not just some like cold-hearted girl that's like you're You need to die. Um, Right. It sounds like he understood the nuance, and he was like, I hope that maybe being institutionalized will also, like, encourage you to get the help that you need so you can address your issues. I hope she has uh, counseling and she has help.
0: I know, yeah. I was not able to find, like, the terms of her probation or, like, whether treatment is mandated or anything like that. I would assume, like, I know you've got to check in and be, like, available and of that, and then people have different terms, so I would hope that there's some kind of treatment that, yeah. So that was January of this
1: year that she got out. This (laughs) is just a sad story all around, like, for everybody involved. Except for Conrad's dad, he can go fuck himself. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to provide a final metaphor and then end on a Billie Eilish quote. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, Content warning in this metaphor for drowning. I heard this one a lot growing up um, from my mom and I'm gonna embellish it a little bit because she said it more simply, but I like to embellish things. And I think it's always been like a really wonderful illustration of having like a healthy sense of self-preservation in the face of being like a deeply caring person who wants to be helpful. Like this is to balance those things, like my wanting to be there for people and my needing to be there for me. It goes like this. When some people are drowning and you go to help pull them out, you'll be able to. Maybe someone is drowning and you're on a dock nearby and you have knowledge about where the life preservers are and you can throw them a life preserver and you know how to tie a knot to secure yourself to the dock so you don't fall in. And there are maybe people there that can hold on to you and make sure that you can support this person without falling in yourself. That is safe to help that person. However, when other people are drowning, they will pull you in with them. They might not mean to, Maybe you're not on a dock. Maybe you're treading water next to them. You're getting tired and they're trying to climb on your shoulders. Don't try to save these people. All you can do in this situation is keep yourself safe. That usually means getting away. Get some distance. Call for help once you're safe. Get somebody else. Tell them. Don't push their head under the water, but don't go back into that water and try to save them yourself. That's a good point. I'll leave us with this Billie Eilish quote from her song, Zanny. Quote, I can't afford to love someone who isn't dying by mistake. Me neither, Billy. Me neither.
1: <laughs> I saw a uh, tweet that said something like, uh, my sister says Billie Eilish is for girls who say they're psycho, but are too afraid to ask for extra ketchup at a restaurant. For fucking sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's it!
0: Ooh, that That was a
1: good one. It was a heavy one. That was a good one. <sighs>
0: Thank you. Don't say, I'm like, uh, I felt like mildly bad. Like, I'm going to put, I'm going to put us all through
1: this. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> but I think it's also like a conversation that needs to be had. And also, honest, honestly, if someone's showing up for a true crime episode, they already know what they're in for. Rarely is true crime, like, fucking hilarious. That's fair. And we've done our best, listeners. We're trying to be hilarious. <laughs> this is a <the> hard time. <laughs> this one was a hard one to be uh, witty- <laughs> i <laughs> funny <laughs> um... But yeah I also think like you know it, it stresses a lot of you know points about you know getting help about education regarding mental health um, just in general uh, it really shocks me like how little people understand it and how how even today it's like still like a little stigmatized like I think with uh, COVID going on more people are reaching out because they're realizing oh no human connection is fucking huge but I remember when I was in high school um, I came back from my senior year after the summer of you know my suicide attempt and I talked to my counselor about it and I told her, you know, I'm trying to like, you know, turn over a new leaf and I'm trying to change things and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, a few months later, like, I went into her office because I was like upset about something. And she heard me like talking about how I was going to kill myself because one of my friends reported me. And I don't know who reported me, but thank you, whoever that was. And she was like, honestly, I thought you were fine. Like, you were talking about like how you threw out like all of your black clothing and how you were turning over a new leaf. And I'm just surprised that you're here again. And I was just like, this is not the way to deal with this.
0: Yeah, for real. Like, I thought you were okay, but you're not. Like, great, cool story, counselor. It's really helping.
1: Yeah, it's like, no, I, in fact, am not okay. Turns out (laughs) I'm good at faking it. Excellent observation.
0: That's why they pay you the small bucks. (laughs)
1: Of course, then you have school counselors like my friend Jill, who's just, like, the most incredible human being on the planet. So, I mean, yeah. Um,
0: When I told my, like, when I told on my friend in high school, we had different school counselors. It was broken up by last name. And I had an amazing school counselor, Mr. Williams, He was so good. He helped me through, like, some sexual harassment that I'd been dealing with. Like, he was just, like, an awesome guy. And I was like, well, counselors are here to help. And, like, you can trust them. And, like, generally, again, like, even a shitty counselor is going to be more qualified than, (laughs) like, better able to deal with this than just like your 17 year old friend so I stand by my choice but her counselor sucked her counselor like didn't get it and like wasn't like she she, I was like well part of the reason is like her mom is abusive and the counselor's like I gotta loop the mom in and I was like no the mom is abusive and the counselor's like yeah but like I can't not have the parent looped in and I'm like you're gonna have to be a little more creative than that um and so she looped her in but like my friend is still alive yeah yeah. the important (laughs) thing is that your friend made it um right and, like, I don't want to paint an image of, like, hey, if you tell someone, it's going to be, like, totally fine. Everyone's going to be excited and happy that you told and, like, it's going to be handled super well. Because, like, it's, ne- it's not going to be perfect. Like, we're all human. We're all just trying. But, like, it's a better chance you're going to help someone get the help they need if you talk to someone who can help and is qualified. Yeah, I have another
1: suicide story. Uh, my friend uh, was going to school at UNR, and I guess a girl like in her dorm was threatening suicide. And she had gone off to class, but she was talking about like how she was just like going to get through class, and like she was going to do it like later on that day, and blah blah blah. So she calls me in Vegas from Reno, and she was like, "Alex, you know about suicide because you've tried it." <laughs> I was just like, "Awesome, glad to know I'm your authority figure." And she was like, this girl keeps talking about killing herself. And she's like, she's like, give me like all these things that are just like raising red flags. And like, she's giving away all of her stuff. And I oh my was God. like, Yeah. I was like, get your, get, get your, like, whoever your floor warden is or whatever. It's like, let somebody know. Get that person to help right the fuck now. Like, go to an authority figure. Don't call me in Vegas. She's like, Well, I don't know if like we should do that. I'm like, do you honestly think she's going to kill herself? And she was like, Well, yeah. I'm like, then fucking do something and don't call me. <laughs>
0: I love that people are like, yeah, Alex will know what to do. And you do know what to do in, like, l- most situations, I would say. Eh.
1: <laughs> but was <clears just like>, That wasn't a Alex knows what to do. This was a common sense of, you, you think she's going to kill herself? Don't call the person in Vegas who can't do anything. But, but talk She to you needed yourself.
0: someone to tell her to call the cops.
1: Yeah, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> fucking call someone! Get an authority figure, god damn
0: it! You were the authority figure until she found one!
1: I will always be the person in your corner saying, No, just fucking do shit!
0: <laughs> <sighs> well, I'm glad I'm glad we got through this and that I think it was a decent episode.
1: Yeah, I think it was too. It's gonna be- it's a heavy episode. Um, yeah. But yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Take care of yourself during the editing process. I'll send- um, I've got some pictures and then I've got sources, and I also have, um, while I was watching the documentary, I just took a bunch of notes of, like, quotes that I thought were good in case you wanted to pull any for, like, the intro or outro. So I have, like, yeah. some time signatures and quotes that I'll send you.
1: Yeah, definitely send me all that stuff. Uh, like I always say, you can never go wrong with more information. Um, and I don't think this episode will be as hard for me to edit as the satanic panic one, because I'm medicated now, I pretty much talk about my depression every fucking day. <laughs> yeah, I <yeah>. doctors in <laughs> the support yeah. group. So, um... I, I'm like I'm ashamed that like I've cut myself and I've tried to kill myself, but I'm not ashamed to talk about it because I think like it's a good thing to talk about because people need to understand it's like you're not a bad person for talking about it. It does happen to people and you can get through it.
0: Good to know. Uh, I got I got some uh, real heavy feelings. From this one um, and I included the dad bit because like I really struggled with whether I was going but I was like that's what's driving me to do this up like that's what's drive like I relate to this person like, not because of the same behavior but because it's like I have this voice in my hands like this is all your fault when in reality like no
1: yeah <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> Yeah, Jesus Christ. And also, like, you can do everything in your power to want to help someone. And if they don't
0: want the help... Right, there's... They are the one who makes that choice in the end.
1: Yeah, you can throw someone a life ring, but if they don't grab it, that's not on you. <laughs>
0: that's a good point.
1: Um, do you want to say a happy thing for our people? Um,
0: I'm happy my friend is still alive. Uh, I'm happy it's warm and sunny today. I'm happy... Uh, we're getting more followers and more listeners. We're excited. Anybody who's joining us new or who's been here since the beginning, we're always happy to have you. I think things are overall good, despite this being a heavy episode.
1: Yeah, it is It is uh, cool to see our, our numbers going up. I'm so glad there are people out there like listening. Like I was joking with Heath, and I was like, our whole 10 listeners, he's like, you've got like over 1,000 downloads. Like You're getting close to like, 2,000. It's more than 10 people. I was like, okay, 20 people. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, thank you to the people out there who are listening and the people who have supported us from the beginning and the people that will support us in the future.
0: We appreciate you. All. Is
1: that what she appreciates about them?
0: That's <laughs> what I appreciate about them. Um, Alright, that's it. I gotta eat, I gotta pee for no, the 400th my time. Earbuds.
1: <laughs> ah! I keep ripping it out of my head. What were you saying?
0: I said I gotta eat, I gotta pee for the 400th time. I think I'm signing off. I just don't eat on the toilet, that's gross. I will do my best.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, uh, Cheers! Cheers!
0: Cracking it like it's hot. <laughs> because depression or social, it can mean you don't like yourself. And the sooner I like myself, the better I'm going to be. Like, I have a lot going. As always, thank you for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please leave us a positive review and a five-star rating, and tell your friends. All of that helps people know who we are so that we can bring you more of what you love.
1: If you'd like more information on a specific episode, visit our website, crackpotcocktailhour.com, and click on the episode's link. If you'd like to know when new
0: episodes are coming out and see the cocktail recipes in advance, subscribe to us in your podcast app and follow us on social media. We are Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, and we're at Crackpot Hour on Twitter.
1: If you've got feedback for an episode or would like to suggest an episode topic, feel free to email us. We're CrackpotCocktailHour at gmail.com. Until next time, Crackpots, crack Crack it like it's hot. hot!